Research, action and art. Ethnography in front of the door and in the world. African electronics represents, you know, medicinal healing. It represents technology. To explain the people that they are the one who can decide about their feet. Ten students from the University of Cologne leave the lecture hall. They meet people and learn about their worlds. Ten students, ten experiences, ten stories. Game Changer. Can a game bring peace? By Felixa Wing. Game Changer. Can a game bring peace? An innovative tool for conflict transformation in Lebanon. On the day I arrived in Beirut, Lebanon, protesters gathered below my balcony. To many people at the time, those protesters were the sound of hope. A hope for Lebanon where people unite across sectarian and ethnic lines for a cause. And their cause was trash. Trash gathered in piles in the streets, fermenting in the August sun. But it wasn't just trash. The smelly mountains on the street were both a symptom and a symbol of what the protesters see as the problem of Lebanon, a government too divided to serve its people. Lebanon has a long and complicated history of diversity and an equally long and complicated history of sectarianism, one that cannot be summarized. But let me try to give you some basics. In the process of independence from France in 1944, Lebanon used a quota system to ensure an ethnically representative national government. The distribution was based on old census data. The data was from a time when the ratio of Christians to non-Christians was about 6 to 5. The influx of Sunni Muslim Palestinian refugees beginning in the 1940s sped up the already developing change to that ratio. And the Christian majority feared to lose its influence and privileges. As a side note, as sectarian conflicts go, root causes go back to other conflicts, but bear with me. So during the civil war from 1975 to 1990, Syrian and later Israeli troops fought along the Christian Lebanese against the growing Sunni majority. To end the bloody war, politicians established the Charter of National Reconciliation. That charter included redistribution of political authority. But still, division remains. The vision that gains new momentum as the country struggles to accommodate a number equaling a quarter of its own population of refugees from neighboring Syria, a country that has been deeply involved in the Lebanese conflict too. The vision that's still visible in the cityscape today. The west of the city is predominantly Muslim, the east is predominantly Christian. Although the so-called green line dividing the once warring groups is long gone, you still feel a difference. Driving from my room in the west towards the office in the east, I often was reminded of that one Dylan song. I came to a high place of darkness and light. The fighting line ran through the center of town. Until today, the government too was divided along ethnic and sectarian lines. The president is always Maronite Christian, the prime minister is Sunni Muslim, the supreme commander of the military is Shiite, and so on. The country hasn't been able to elect a new president since May 2014 because of political deadlock. And these divisions trickle down into local politics, into municipal duties. 
like waste collection and running landfalls. And this is where protagonist trash comes back in. This is why people are chanting below my balcony, assembling to march to Martyr Square. The trash that is piling up below that same balcony and across the city is a symptom of the political deadlock. It is also a symbol of it. The beginning of the protests was a movement called You Stink. You Stink accuses the trash, but it also accuses the politicians responsible. At least in the beginning, this movement united protesters from different faiths and ethnicities. And at least in the beginning, this movement gave hope to people tired of sectarianism crippling their country's development. Well, the movement has widened its demands, fell into various groups, lost momentum. The trash piles are mostly gone, but the deeper issues remain. There's still no president. In some parts of the country, violent tensions continue to boil. There are still attacks, most recently a devastating suicide bombing in a Shiite neighborhood in southern Beirut. There are still military checkpoints across the country, ready to close international borders in case a conflict erupts. There are still camps of Palestinian refugees and their children and grandchildren living without Lebanese citizenship or equal rights. There are sprawling refugee camps for Syrians from all sides of that violent conflict. It's easy to lose hope. It's easy to become defeatist. But a group of young people from various backgrounds, Lebanese, Syrian and Palestinian, Sunni, Shiite and Christian, refuses to give up hope. They are working to bridge divides and teach people how to transform conflicts without resorting to violence. And all that through a game. In the office of the German Gesellschaft für Internationale Zusammenarbeit, GIZ, right on the former dividing line between East and West in Beirut, activist and program officer for the Civil Peace Program, Justine Abissad, is busy preparing the next workshop for the group of volunteers. Before we head out the door to drive to the Beirut Arab University, she collects the materials. List of participants, check. Agenda, check. Paper, markers, check. Board game, check. So we pack our stuff and drive west to the Kola neighborhood where Beirut Arab University is located. At the Human Rights Center of Beirut Arab University, or short BAU, the group of volunteers is meeting to develop new scenarios for the game today. Just a week before, the volunteers participated in a three-day workshop to learn about conflict and to get to know each other. They set out to a year of working together, learning about themselves, and to further develop the board game. So, what is this game? The game is called Let's Talk in English, or in Arabic. Imagine a classical board game like Monopoly, where players roll dice to move from one field to the next. The four players are red, green, blue, and yellow. Depending on the field you land on, you get a card or have to do something. So far, it's quite familiar, right? Then what makes this game so special? Well, pretty much everything else. In a playful way, Let's Talk teaches participants about conflict transformation and their own conflict styles. Guided by a trained facilitator, four players go through a scenario of a conflict in assigned roles. For example, there's Kalina. My name is Kalina. I'm 38 years old. I'm from Spain. 
Kalinda is one of four roles that participants play in the one scenario I got to play one evening. Without wanting to give away too much in case you get to play Let's Talk soon, Kalinda has a conflict with one of her roommates, Yara. And there's also a third roommate, Iman, and a landlord, Walid. Each of the four has their own objective in the conflict, and this is where it gets really interesting. I want you to play in a way that you should feel that you are this character. Our facilitator, Rawad, explains how we're supposed to identify with our characters, but I don't think we needed much encouragement. Within less than a round, we all got really into our characters, and we really became invested in reaching our objectives in the game. <laughs> so, throughout the course of the game, each player tries to achieve the objective of their character, which in this scenario might be getting your rent on time, living in a clean apartment, or feeling included by your roommates. These objectives are reached through negotiations with other players, through receiving outside perspectives about the conflict or yourself, and by thinking about how you can contribute to transforming the conflict. Throughout the course of the game, players are building relationships, get to know different perspectives, and reflect about themselves. But how does that work? In a nutshell. At the beginning, each player receives a card with some information about the conflict, and about their own character, role, and objective in the conflict. This information is confidential, so each player holds a different puzzle piece to the conflict's developments. As Hoda, one of the volunteers, explained, You have a scenario with four people, right? And you can't know what your partner is thinking about and what's his background. All of that plays a role in the game. So when you just know a one personality and you have to discover the whole in a specific time. So based on the scenario, players score to what extent they have achieved their own objective and their relationships with the other players. By roll of dice, players move along the fields with different functions from beginning to end for each round. The squares represent different opportunities to understand the conflict, advance the character's objective, and thereby transform the conflict. For example, there's a square called Negotiation. One, two, three, <laughs> the Negotiation square allows two players to discuss their understanding of the situation for a limited amount of time and propose solutions. On another field, the Perception field, players have to describe how another player appears to them, which helps that player in turn to reflect how their actions are understood. Then there is the Pay it or Play it field, where players have to give up valuable negotiation time or say how they will contribute to transforming the conflict. At the end of each round, players readjust the evaluations of their objective and relationships based on what happened. And then when you stop after each round to talk about your feeling now and your relationship with the other and your needs, so here they are stopping, reflecting, and they are changing their position. On a scoreboard, each player records perceptions, feelings, and needs of the other players. After a short debriefing, a new development in the conflict is introduced and the next round begins. So theoretically there are five rounds, but that does not mean that the game has to be played to the end each time to be effective. The goal is to transform the problem into non-problem. But the bigger goal really is learning how to better handle conflict situations. So there is a certain pattern to this game. There's a period of intense playing where players identify with the characters, really get into the game and experience real emotions. This period is what gets players hooked and engaged. 
and then there's a period of reflection when players think about the feelings and needs of the other players to record them on the scoreboard. This scoreboard helps players focus on other people's needs, which forces them to practice empathy. They then enter the next round of the game with a new consideration of the other players' needs. Volunteer Hanin explains. When you get to know what are the needs of the person, it's easier for you to find a common ground to start solving the problem from. This is one of the crucial parts of the game, because it transforms it from being a competitive board game to a transformative experience. And it's a game, in a way. We are playing, so it's not real, but in fact, it's real. Justine notes how it's safely removed from reality, but with real lessons. People say, but every life conflict is different. No, now you are practicing. It's like a lab where you can explore your own conflict style and mechanisms in a safe environment. We practice skills like constructive wording in conflict situations, where you learn empathy, where a trained facilitator bridges observations from the game to theory about conflict transformation. Uh, it's not about having this amazing, nice box, no. It's to be trained on this. To be trained in conflict transformation means taking the lessons you learned with you into your real-life conflicts. Because the game engages your emotions, lets you think and reflect, and gives you practical tools. And that connection is what makes the lesson stick. When I was lying in bed at night after playing the game the first time, I could not stop thinking. Thinking about my own conflict style and about how I act in conflict situations, how important it is to understand the perspective of other parties in a conflict. And those lessons stayed with me. But don't take my word for it. Oh my god. I discovered a lot about my personality. Huda, one of the volunteers, describes how playing Let's Talk changed how she deals with conflict. After I played the game, I learned uh, how to deal with time, how to use helpful and uh, useful uh, phrases in conflict, how to understand others and their background, their goals, their perceptions, Hanin, another volunteer, shared similar experiences. Well, the biggest success so far, I saw it in me better than others because I had certain uh, stereotypes about people, but this conflict uh, training opened my horizon in some way. It changed my perspective in many things. It changed many point of views I had about certain people or certain uh, ways to deal with conflict or problem I face. The game functions on many levels. First, players learn practical skills. For example, when a player lands on a perception field, they practice making non-judgmental and well-reasoned observations. Players also learn new attitudes helpful in conflict transformation. For example, empathy. When the facilitator asks players to note the feelings and needs of the other players after each round, they're practically forced to put themselves into the shoes of their opponents and allies and practice empathy. Often fiercely defending their own interests during the rounds, players became really quiet and thoughtful when they fill out the scoreboard. Since the game is usually played in the context of workshops, players also learn some theory about conflict transformation. And then there's the content level because the scenarios themselves can teach players about the lives and situations of people they might not otherwise ever learn about. For example, about groups that they usually might not meet. For example, about what it's like to live in Lebanon as a Syrian refugee. So now here we are, sitting in the Human Rights Center at Beirut Arab University 
and this group of young activists is mapping out examples of conflicts in their own lives to develop new scenarios for the game. Conflicts that are relevant to young people in Lebanon today, and this is part of what makes this game so powerful. By changing the scenario, the game can be relevant to people from all kinds of backgrounds. The game has been played already in different communities in Lebanon, from urban to rural, and once in Malta. But by giving the formal structure and mechanisms while having the flexibility of adapting the scenario to different cultures, age groups, or social circumstances, the game has the potential to be used anywhere. And some of the volunteers already have plans to introduce Let's Talk in other contexts. We are working on two scenarios, so it will be an opportunity for more people to play it and bring some variation in it. And what's more interesting is that it can be translated and then moved out to other you know countries and and it's easy for all every every person would play it and love it Hanin already has an idea of how to adjust the scenarios for the international version if we will uh, translate it and mainly if it's going to be an international game so a cultural or religious uh, conflict would be great for that because uh, there are the major gaps that unite us in some way And when introducing Let's Talk at a fair in Greece, Justine got feedback about potential conflicts for versions of Let's Talk in other countries. So, uh, they said that each country has her own conflict. Like, for example, in Spain, with the Basque countries, and, uh, in Jordan, for example, between the Palestinian and Jordanian too, so the identity culture. Uh, in France, regarding the economy. Uh, and we had a conflict faced by one of an Algerian slash French. You have different type or topic of conflict. Huda shared her hopes for playing the game with influential people. If the players were people like politics or doctors and Ayuni, the, the people that they are the hinges of the society, it can make a lot. My target <laughs> to to let some of those peoples to play it. I'm strong enough. <laughs> And that is why the team is working on further developing Let's Talk. It's not an easy task to teach politicians to speak to each other in a political climate that is notorious for its gridlock. It's not an easy task to get any rival parties to practice empathy towards each other. And it's a long way to get from getting individuals to cooperate and practice empathy to actually transforming the big conflicts of a society, in Lebanon or anywhere. Like resolving political stalemate that resulted in mountains of trash on the streets. But it's always the first step. Justine is hopeful. And this, I think, the key when we believe in the power of the youth, that they can make a change and they can really be actors of change. And when you see the group of volunteers, these young activists, spend their weekends and evenings on this game, you can't help but believe in the power of the youth. You can't help but believe that these young Lebanese, Syrians and Palestinians can change Lebanon. I, for one, can't wait to see what they will do. And I'm not saying that we will change the world, but when we will change the perception and attitude. And you, those small effects, but it will contribute later, uh, later on. And that is a ray of hope. You listen to Game Changer. Can a game bring peace? 
by Felixa Wing. Due to our understanding of beauty, the billion-dollar business of hair extensions is flowing. Many women use extensions to make their hair appear more thick, full and shiny. But less people are really thinking about the origin of these extensions, which are often made of real human hair. People are not actively reflecting the business behind this fashion and cannot imagine what all this has to do with the Indian understanding of beauty. Listen to the next episode to find out more. A project of the University of Cologne, developed from the seminar Ethnography in Front of the Door and in the World, by the Department of Social Anthropology and the Department of Middle Eastern and Southeast Asian Studies.